Welcome to another episode of Makers Weekly. My name is Dan Parsons, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk with Caven Clausen, founder of True Public. True Public is the site where you truly get the heartbeat of America and where they stand on issues ranging from politics, pop culture, technology, lifestyle, and much more. So without further ado, let's welcome Caven Clausen. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Uh, really excited to learn more about um, what you're working on at, at True Public. Um, so to kick things off, do you mind sharing a bit about you know what the problem space is you're working on and um, a little overview of the uh, product itself? Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me. This is great. Shortly after 2016, um, there was kind of a siren call for new ways to understand public opinion sentiment. A lot of the old methodologies we've used for 50 years, like calling people on telephones, like calling people on landline telephones, paid surveys, social listening, a lot of cracks were showing all those methodologies. We felt like there was an opportunity to create an anonymous voting platform where people where, where people are able to come on. We don't collect any PII, nothing, uh, no personal identifiable information. That means no phone number, no email, uh, no picture. Users were able to give some basic demographic information, like your race, your gender, the state you live in. And then essentially, True Public is a comparison engine. You vote on a number of questions on politics, on tech, on relationships, on health, you name it. And we have really interesting psychographic information. So it's a great way to understand like how you compare to America and how you compare to other people in your city or people in other cities or people of different in different groups than you. And, uh, we launched that, uh, out of beta 13 months ago and it's grown to over 200,000 people on it now. And it's been really exciting, but the, the general crux of the idea is that, um, as human beings, we're all interested in comparing ourselves, but we want to do it in a safe way because so much of online discourse is very harmful or potentially harmful. Um, and we saw in society a lot of people have opinions that they don't necessarily surface. And we wanted to make it a really easy, quick way to share who you are and see how you compare. Yeah, I mean, I love this product. I'm just like scrolling through now. And just like the nature of some of these questions are very, I mean, some are obviously controversial, but it's like things that you talk about with your friends and you'd have you know, deep debates about, yeah. and it's, it's hard. Everyone's kind of in their own echo chamber. So it is really difficult to get, like a pulse on like, what is the, what's the rest of the country think about, um, you know, some of these questions, like, for example, I'm looking at, you know, do you think global warming is an issue worth being concerned about to when should a couple start having sex? And like the answers are after a first date, after a few dates, after a few months, after marriage or, um, and then, and then you have one, like which type of item would you most like to see McDonald's create next? And it's like a new salad option or coffee shakes. So I think that is, that's pretty awesome. And I can see the use cases just being very broad. Yeah. And, and Dan, like that's the, I'm glad you brought the McDonald's example. That's actually our business model. So the, the way true public works is most people don't come to true public to, you know, help McDonald's think of their next product. They come, they come to here to, you know, learn more about relationship issues. Uh, a lot of people, you know, our users submit 99% of our questions. So people are constantly submitting new content. We actually, one of the biggest challenges of the company is we can't create enough content. So, and, and it's a good problem to have. People are so interested in um, asking these anonymized questions and getting feedback. And then what we do is we can work with a brand like McDonald's. And McDonald's is, 
constantly trying to innovate for consumers, particularly young consumers. And it's very hard, almost impossible today to get a group of 400 people under 24 years old to answer questions about a brand. But we figured out a pretty fun way to do it. Those are essentially our sponsored questions. We fit them in with the other things and people really do enjoy answering them because I, I, I think it's kind of a fun, unique way and definitely the future where brands and their customers, it's not this one-sided thing where the brand's just releasing products and just advertising them like crazy to a bunch of people. We want brands to be talking to consumers all throughout the process of uh, you know, product discovery, product development, product launch, product marketing. We think that could be a really exciting future for how brands and, and, and young consumers work together. Yeah, and you see this, um, you see this concept popping up like in other platforms, like Twitter has Twitter polling. Um, you know, obviously Quora is kind of all built around this like crowdsourced Q and A type of thing. But how you actually have this constructed does feel very unique and somewhat addicting. Um, do you guys have a mobile app for this yet? I could see people just like flying through this thing on. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's funny. We started with mobile first when we launched. Web just came out like a month ago. So that's a pretty – what you're seeing, Dan, is actually a pretty early version of web. Uh, it, it's actually better on mobile because the idea behind True Public is radical honesty. And, you know, mobile – when you're on your mobile phone, I definitely feel more privacy than when I'm on my desktop computer or laptop. So it does work great on mobile. It is extremely addicting. The thing with True Public that we're trying to, you know, we're trying to solve for in many ways. You mentioned echo chambers at the start. I think there's a societal good element to the product we've built. Also, if I if I can say that myself, which is, if you if we can get people outside of their Facebook feed and Twitter feed, because look, we're all we're all biasing ourselves. Like the people who I'm friends with on Facebook, the people I follow on Twitter, or on Instagram. There's probably some things about them, Dan, that are unique. They're probably more similar uh, college experiences to me. They might uh, come from the same part of the country as me. And I find that on True Public, I'm oftentimes seeing opinions from people who are very different than myself. And I do think there's a lot of utility in that as a society and even personally. Yeah, because from what it looks like, True Public like doesn't give you the opportunity to choose what questions are put in front of you besides just selecting the categories. So like it's impossible for me to build that echo chamber. Whereas like on Twitter, like I can, I basically go out and build like what experience I want to have on Twitter based on, you know, who I follow. Is that, is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. And we, we have to, we have to introduce randomization for a statistical reason. Like we're trying to statistically model the United States. Hmm. Um, in fact, over the next year and leading up to the 2020 election, you're going to be seeing True Public pop up in a lot of publications. According to True Public, you know, 57% of people support this issue, and and that that's really the future of the company is being a, a really important data source for the media, for journalists, for companies, for users. But in order to do that, we can't have people being able to easily just like seek out whatever content. If you ever see a poll on CNN or a poll on Fox or a poll on any of the more partisan uh, news sites, there's always going to be a, a significant level of bias there. Um, and what we're trying to do is figure out figure out a way to create a place where all sides, I don't care where you are in the political spectrum, I don't care where you are with your sexuality or Whatever your views are in the world, we want this to be a place where all types of people can feel comfortable. So one of the things we don't allow is we don't have um, – there's no possibility for debate. 
there's no free form text entry. So people can't call you names or yell at you or anything, which we believe creates more honesty because why do I not tweet all the time? A lot of my opinions, I don't tweet a lot of my opinions, frankly, because not that I even have controversial views, it's just risky. And if you have a lot of other stuff going on in life, you might not want to wade into wade into a fight. And I think for the 90% of us in America and around the world who, who don't want to get into online debates, true public's a really nice way to just share and learn. Yeah, that's, that's a good point um, about Twitter. So I guess that also brings up another question that I have is, um, as it relates to, you know, authentication and validation of accounts, like how do you guys, how do you guys think about, you know, someone doesn't come on here and a bot creates, you know, a, a ton of accounts and skews the results for some of these questions? Super tricky, super tricky. Uh, on web, um, all the results on web right now, we would, we would not actually be counting as part of our statistical model um, just because of that challenge. The way we do it on mobile um, and we'll eventually introduce this onto the website as well as we have something called an honesty algorithm. Essentially, this is, uh, there's nothing too fancy to it. It's just a bunch of inputs. Uh, for instance, how fast someone's voting. Um, there's trap questions that try to see if someone's maybe changed their response on the question. It wouldn't make sense to change the response on. Like if, if the question was, have you ever visited Paris? And you had said you had this month and you said you hadn't later, you know, that would be ob- a very obvious way of, of finding out someone wasn't being thoughtful or truthful. Um, so that, that algorithm is able to give us a score between zero and a hundred on different accounts to try to predict if someone might be a bot hmm. or, and, or, you know, an actor who's trying to skew the results. I mean, as we grow in importance, like our data is, our data is now being used for instance, um, by a number of financial analysts. So, uh, these financial analysts write up reports about different stocks and you can imagine how those reports move the markets. In fact, one of the reports just before Christmas this past year helped move the stock of this company, you know, 7%. That was hundreds of millions of dollars in movement. So we have to be very careful that, that a company or someone who has a financial interest isn't trying to alter that data to make the, that company look better. Um, but the randomization helps fight it. Um, if you wanted to, let's say, support a candidate on True Public, and you tried to send fifty thousand of your loyal supporters to go find those questions, that'd be really difficult uh, for you to do, and it'd be really easy to detect. But with all that said, Dan, this is something we're constantly, um, you know, I wouldn't say worried about, but constantly working on because data integrity is crucial. Yeah, I would actually, I would say. You know, that, that almost seems like one of the bigger problems that you guys are out to solve is like, how do we actually get a unbiased representation of, you know, what the what the country's thinking about on certain issues? Um, and a lot of that comes down with, you know, making sure that, you know, making sure that the inputs, you know, that the inputs have integrity, um, which, yeah. which is also like once you guys crack that code or as you get more sophisticated in how you handle that and your your models become more robust then also that's like a, a killer moat for the business as well. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. And one other thing, Dan, that's really cool. Um, the, the, the nature of true public, I'm a big believer in incentives, right? Like if your bonus structure at a sales company is around hitting some certain number, well, everyone at the sales company, everyone in that sales organization is going to just drive for that one number. And the way surveys are, surveys are done today is 
as soon as you finish the survey, they'll pay you, let's say, $1 or $0.25, whatever the number is. You can already see how the incentive is to just complete the survey. So when someone does a traditional survey, they're often thoughtless. They're often trying to get it over with, and they're often paid professional survey takers. So they're just trying to make a quick buck. When people come to True Public, they're there to learn, and they're they're there to share their opinion. So there's no true incentive to lie. There's no social proof. No one knows who you are. Um, and ultimately lying or being unthoughtful is just a drop in the bucket with all the people that are being thoughtful. So that really, our best defense is always just, you know, the incentive in the, in the method. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is a super interesting space. It sounds like you're very passionate about it. Like, how did you start thinking about this? Like what, what were you doing prior or, you know, what, what initially kind of gave you this, um, this curiosity about what eventually turned into true public? I was reading this sci-fi novel by Arthur C. Clarke and the, uh, you know, he wrote this in like 1964 and, and it's this wonderful story of this spaceship that's traveling, you know, to a new world to colonize it. And, and I was, uh, I was really fascinated by the way they, they made decisions on that ship. They had thousands and thousands of people on the ship and they had an anonymous, um, voting platform essentially. And, um, on all types of things. And, and that was just kind of like a spark for me. I just thought to myself, you know, I I think, I think it'd be really interesting just to have this way of getting a deep understanding of any size group of people in a really, in in a really fast way. And when I went to the app store or I went online, I realized there's a lot of information of polls and surveys and data and things like that, but there's no there's no cling way. There's no cling place to go for just that information, right? I want to pull up my phone and be able to. I don't care if I'm working on a research paper or I'm having a debate with a friend, and I want to be able to say, "Hey, 57% of people in Alabama support the death penalty," or whatever it might be, right? Whatever's on your mind at that moment. And uh, yeah, that book just sparked something in, in, in me and my co-founders, and we thought. There could be something really cool with anonymity. There could be something really cool with a voting system. And and then the 2016 election was just like the business case. Mm. It was the tip of the iceberg of an entire industry where a lot of the old methods just aren't working anymore. And we felt like, very futuristically, what if we could do this, Dan? What if we could create a mini America, a mini Brazil, a mini France? All across the world, obviously, we're starting in America, where we had enough people demographically balanced to be predictive of different things. Imagine being able to predict an economic downturn or a presidential election or even how the cultural tide has shifted on legal on the legalization of marijuana and different things. I just found that from a personal standpoint, super fascinating. And then obviously, there had to be a business case in order to start a company around it. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we realized that companies, just like consumers the world's changing now and companies can't sit on the sidelines on social issues. Even Nike decided to run these, these Colin Kaepernick ads, which were highly controversial, you know, and our data showed that that really boosted their brand image with, uh, with certain groups of people and it hurt their brand image with other groups of people. And I think, I think other companies outside of Nike are going to need to know how are our decisions going to affect the future? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's wild. So off of a, 
a science fiction novel <laughs> turned into <laughs> turned into like a very a spark. A, yeah, a very real a very real product. But in the sense like you know, that is a that's something that we don't really have right now. And cuz I think the internet is is not necessarily contributed to our ability to get a true heartbeat and a true pulse on you know, on on the country just because you know, you're able to you're able to see the landscape and be influenced in so many ways. Um, so, so I think like the problem in general is like, is pretty wild. How, how do you guys think about like 2020? So like, I mean, that's a big vision you put ahead, right? Like at the end of the day, it'd be awesome. Yeah. You're, you know, you're, you're creating yeah. these, you're creating these views of, you know, what, what countries are thinking and then you're even predicting, you know, outcomes for major events. Like what is like, what are the baby steps to get there? Like what does the 2020 roadmap look like? Oh, well, well, yeah, great point. Where we are today to where we want to be, it's like, you know, we're building like toy rockets. Eventually we need to build a rocket ship that can go to Mars. You know, there's, this is this is step by step. So 2020 for us is we, we're going to be the voice of the young voter in 2020. We're not going to be the voice of the Gen X voter. We're not going to be the voice of your parents, your grandparents. Um, that's pretty clear. But I think we can win in one key area. With our, with our large group of users already that's going to consistently grow and the momentum we're going to get from that, we're going to be prepared to be predictive of um, things like turnout and voter sentiment of people um, you know, under 30 in America. And I think that's one area we can win. Um, the, key for, the, the keys for True Public are, are, are constantly being able to grow the user base um, and, and, and not just – and really build this community – build this brand. I think one of the things we've done effectively was just creating a, a great brand promise for our users. We're very transparent with here's, here's, here's what we do. Here's how we make money. Um, here's how, here's how, why, why we exist. Um, versus, you know, maybe some other tech companies that are having challenges around like privacy and how they monetize and things of that nature we just thought like the future here would be just be hyper transparent with our user base and i think ultimately like they're going to want to get on board i mean what it's going to require just to give you an idea if we could have 970,000 americans like 970,000 americans perfectly distributed amongst race and gender and age and states um <clears throat> we'd be pretty incredibly predictive of the 2020 election Getting there um, and having that balanced is kind of unrealistic. You can imagine how you might need more like 10 million Americans in order to make sure you had enough that were baby boomers and Gen X and all these different groups. Some groups are harder to reach than others. Yeah. Um, but we're going for it. Yeah. It's, I mean, 2020 is going to be a massive driver to our business and we have to be ready for it because everyone's going to be talking about this election. Yep. And uh, I truly believe, and I, I might be slightly biased, that. Outside of Twitter, uh, True Public's the best way to interact with this election because it's, you know, it's the safest and easiest way to share your opinions on on any of these political topics that are coming up. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's a lot of the macro uh, view on the on the business and on the product. Let's uh, let's let's go a little bit deeper into the weeds here. Um, so how do you guys think about and organize around like your product development strategy? So like what inputs do you get? I mean, obviously it sounds like you're talking with, you know, with some enterprise companies or just brands in general around how to use the platform. So I guess like, you know, that's a stakeholder, that's an input. You obviously have your user base. 
Like, how are you getting input? How are you organizing that? How do you guys think about feature development, prioritization, roadmap development? Like, what's your philosophy there? And then also, like, what tools are you guys using to to organize to win around that? Yeah, a couple couple interesting things about our team. Our team's extremely remote. We're in San Francisco, Toronto, Chicago, and overseas in Armenia, where where a number of our developers are as well. Uh, So a lot of our tools are built around remote team we, we're, we're on video calls every single day every single morning typically for uh two maybe even three hours we'll sometimes just have video feeds open we we use things like slack uh you know when you're a remote team one of the things being remote is challenging for a lot of reasons um obviously you want to get the whole team together at different times but one of the things we've had to do dan that's really important is you have to get a lot more serious about um, clarity of communication and documentation. So like on Jira and places like that, keeping those tools extremely organized is key because if the whole team was in the room together, you could like double check with people. But when people are on different time zones and things of that nature, you've got to have that really, really clear, crystal clear communication. Uh, and then, and then the other key thing here is we've bifurcated our team. We have two product owners. So we have one on our, because we essentially have two sides to our business. One is we have this mobile app and web web app that is free. It's operates much like a social network. It's fun to use. It'll always be free. And then the other side is essentially our business development side. We're uh, much like Facebook's ad unit, right? So we're, that side is helping develop tools for brands that help them to, you know, add sponsored questions to the platform and things of that nature. And we had to, we had, we, we felt like over the last month that breaking those two up would give us a lot more, um, just clarity and roles for the team. And it has been a lot smoother doing that. Got it. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Slack and you mentioned Jira. Um, are those like, is that where you guys live most of the time? Like do you use Slack for video calls? Is Jira all the documentation and, you know, ticketing? Um, or do you guys have any like, other tools that you guys love to use we use um so there's some yeah like we use trello for task management on the business side so the non-technical side task management we use trello and that's a really great tool um on a personal level i i use any do as a personal task manager and i find i would recommend this to anyone who's listening to this I think it's really important to have like a brain dump task place where uh, the brain is actually really bad for storing like lists of things. Um, they often get lost and it can be often stressful to try to hold them in there. Just being to have one place to dump all your ideas is really crucial. Um, it, so we make sure that everyone has a, like a personal task list. Then there's more macro team task lists. We also found, um, uh, you know, some other tools like measuring is really important for us, right? We, we use Mixpanel heavily. Like we are in Mixpanel all the time. We're a very data-driven company. Um, and then funny enough, one of, our, one of our better tools is our own product. <laughs> one of the benefits we have is we're a polling and survey application. So we can ask our own users questions about our own product. And, uh, and that's extremely useful and extremely helpful that's pretty interesting what, um, what would like an example of that be i mean could you would it literally be like 
how easy is it to like you know to choose an answer or like are they a little yeah. more nuanced oh than yeah that, like, yeah use yeah use case um we track our own likability just like we have a brand tracker where we're tracking brands all over america we're also tracking our own brand and then demographically we can understand how we're doing with different groups of people right like we know that true public's more popular with women than men uh you know, that's an important thing to know by a significant margin. Like, why is that happening? Um, yeah, and we ask, which feature would you like us to release next? Um, what, what do you dislike the most? Uh, yeah, and actually a lot of our uh, our users are great. A lot of our users will submit questions about the platform itself. Um, sometimes, in a, sometimes in a kind way, sometimes in a kind of a complaining way. But <laughs> we get a lot of great, great questions uh, from them too. So yeah, that's... That's been a great tool for us. I'm trying to think of other great tools that we're we're in a lot. Um, Metabase is another one. Metabase has given us the ability to build a really great dashboard where you can just open that at any time and with one look, kind of get an idea of like how's our user growth going, um, votes per day. Um, yeah, what are some are of the on? key metrics that you guys like? What are, what KPIs are most important to you guys as you think about um, growth? Well, for us, you know. The action, the, the key action on True Public is voting. So, and we have all these different ways to vote. You can do these sliders, drag and drop, pick three. There's all these fun different, and we try to make it as fun as possible. So, we look at votes per user um, is, is like a key metric. And then, like, votes per session is a key metric. And, and we also have a lot of uh, metrics around our question algorithm. So, we have 35,000 questions on True Public now. You can imagine that's like, you know, that's a beast to manage. You can never manually position all those questions. So we're always tracking skips because if someone doesn't like a question, they'll skip it and likes. Mm. And we've got a really interesting model that's using some basic machine learning where if questions are being skipped, right, we assume that that's less liked, uh, less liked question. So if a question's being skipped by someone who doesn't, who loves the NFL, our system could actually, um, not show that question as much to other people who like the NFL, right? Or if a question is being liked by people, and those are for the questions that are less um, around the statistical modeling, like a question like Trump versus uh, Biden or Trump versus Warren, a question like that, that's a question that will like more universally deliver to all our users. Uh, but yeah, we are, we're, we're big on metrics. We have to track everything. We found, and I'll give you a great a great example. Uh, one of our product owners, Lilith, she did a small change to our product. All she did was make it to where when you first opened the mobile app, instead of having to select your categorization like you typically did, it just automatically went straight to a question. Such a simple thing, and it just dramatically changed, um, you know, the amount of votes per user. Improve the session length. It, it just got people so much quicker into the content, and so we're really big on being able to A/B test things. And um, it, it, in order to to do that effectively, you have to have like really tight metrics. What are uh, are you able to share any sort of numbers around like the scale that you're at right now? So around some of those metrics, like what's you know how many how many how many active users do you get on a daily basis or, you know, whatever, whatever your, you know, 
DAU, yeah. MAU, like anything that you're comfortable yeah. sharing, just so we kind of understand the breadth of the platform to date. Yeah, two hundred thousand people are on the platform. Um, uh, Fifty thousand of those are going to be every month. Uh, nearly half of those are every week. The daily, our our daily to weekly is um, about half of that. Dan, uh, the 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 way True Public operates is more, not as much as of a daily app right now, and that's. I think the thing that we have the biggest problem with is making this daily. A lot of, we'll see user surges around big um, events. When, when Trump was impeached, when, when the Iran strike happened recently, when there's been even big sporting events, people, people often gravitate to true public. I'm sure that's quite similar to Twitter as well. I'm assuming if we, if we were able to see their metrics as well. Um, so one of our big focuses from a metric standpoint is we're always thinking like, obviously how to get people from sign up to making them, you know, stay with us actively on a monthly basis. But the more we're diving into our metrics, getting people from monthly, weekly, weekly to daily, it's, it's not just important. It's, it's like, it's crucial. Um, is that part of your uh, engagement strategy? Like, do you re-engage customers and say, Hey, tell us what you think about this, the Iranian issue or, or like, see what America thinks about, you know, this specific issue. Is, is that part of the, you know, part of your, your nudge strategy? Absolutely. And we, we send these, um, automated push notifications and the push notifications work best when there's something like really timely. And, you know, our, our news cycle today, it's, it's a 24 hour news cycle. Like the stories that were big earlier this week, I can't even really remember them to tell you the truth. And we found though, that if you can create a question and we've got a great content director who does this, she she'll have news break and she'll immediately create a question. And that question will be immediately pushed out to people. And we can get a statistically significant response literally in a matter of, uh, you know, half an hour, hour. And um, a lot of traditional polling firms can be weeks. So that's something we really pride ourselves on. And you can imagine how important that can be. If we could be the fastest company in the country to figure out what people think of what was going on, going on in Iran earlier this week, Imagine how newsmaking that can be. But in order to do that, we need more. We need more daily active, like daily. And I have a friend of mine runs a another consumer uh, app, and we're always exchanging things. What we both found in metrics is like, if you can get those users that are for the most part daily, like they're, and, and this might seem obvious, right? But if you want to create like even a viral product where people tell their friends, they need to use it a lot to even tell them. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be top of mind. It, it's gotta be top of mind. Like if someone uses something like once a week and uses it a lot, which is basically our use case. One of the main reasons we've been able to raise capital and, and grow the team is, you know, we, we have bad metrics, frankly, but we have one really great metric when people, you know, get on true public, they're on for a long time. Like the, our session links are really long. Uh, even like our first day session links are like 23 minutes. Um, and we can talk about like, you know, keeping that going. Um, they like, what they like what they see. It's engaging. There's something there. You just got to figure out, you know, how to, you know, how to keep that curve really, really long and high. (laughs) 
Oh, well, I'll tell you, one of the challenges uh, for True Public is the lack of investment. We actually had a meeting this morning around this, Dan, where, you know, when I when I joined Facebook, I had to add all my photos, added all my friends, added all this information. Now, to quit Facebook would be rather painful. Or let's say even like LinkedIn, I've got all these connections, you know, whatever. That That is a great concept. Like, that is a concept I wish I had thought of more before starting the company. Uh, and we're on it now. We're working on it. But I wish I'd thought more about investment. Like this, if you want to create switching costs in your product, like okay, like an, what's another product that's super sticky? Like I use Google Drive. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never leave Google Drive because I have everything there, and to to move it would just seem so painful to me. And with True Public, uh, right now, anyone using the application could just walk away from it fairly easily. You could even have your account get deleted and not even cry yourself to sleep. You could get a new account. Yeah. Uh, and we need to figure out ways to where when people spend the time with True Public, like they feel like they're investing in the platform. And I think that will keep them around a lot longer. So, so we're gonna that's that's gonna be a huge focus this year. So you talked about um raise, raising capital. Where are you guys at on that on that journey? Like what's the what stage are you guys currently at? Um and what is that that what's your I guess philosophy on capital raising in general? Well, I, if you don't, you shouldn't raise money unless you have to, uh, for one. And in our case, we did because we're a business that wasn't that wouldn't be able to monetize until we had a user base, right? Uh, different than maybe like a SaaS consulting product where you could go out and just start selling people immediately. Um, uh, fundraising is really hard. <laughs> like fundraising is brutal. I can second that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's it's one of the most trying experiences of your life. And the reason for that is rejection is really hard and rejection is especially hard if you're being rejected by smart people. Not every investor I've pitched is someone I would consider someone I respect intellectually, but a lot of them are people I consider very, very um, intelligent, humble, wise people. And they think what we're doing won't work. And that's, that's a tough thing to deal with. If you're building a product, um, there are going to be people who think who are smart, who think what you're doing will absolutely not work. Cause when someone decides not to invest, they usually use all these kind language, like you're too early for us, or we don't understand the space quite well enough. But really at the end of the day, what they're saying is we don't think we don't, we're not buying what you're saying. We don't think it's going to work. And, yeah, and it's, that not gonna be as, it's not going to be as big as they need it to be. I mean, yeah, you know, their their math equation has a lot of a lot of inputs too, um, but yeah, the rejection hurts. That's true. Well, the first twenty, and then after you get through, <laughs> they become a little numb to it. <laughs> oh, that's a great point. Uh, <laughs> like right out of college, I had a cold calling job, and that looking back now, um, that I, I only had it for like eight months. That was by far the worst job I ever had, but in some ways, it was the best because I. Uh, I got really used to people like saying no and any fear I had to like just calling someone or talking to them on the phone went away. So I think it's likewise, if you're a product person or you start a company going out there and getting, getting rejected is good. And, and the one piece of investing advice I would give, I think a lot of, a lot of founders go to their warm leads first when they're trying to raise around like, yeah, let's go to the VC that already knows us and they kind of like us. I would not recommend that. I would go bomb your first three pitches. Like go to the hardest people that are never going to invest in you. And yeah, I'd say you're going. Yeah, I give I give I give similar. I, it's like I'd find your like your tier B, tier C candidates, 
um, that you don't know and go get in front of those and just like get beat up a little bit before you go to either your warms or like your ideal, you know, your ideal investor. Yeah. Cause we bombed. We like, we like our worst pitch was our first pitch. It was probably the, the, the investor that we had the most ins with because one of our other investors is an LP in that fund. And I, and, uh, and now looking back, I'm like, man, because you know, there was so many like true public and many companies have so many places they can go. Like I just told you about elections. I told you about brands we're talking to. Um, we have all these cool ideas, but ultimately that can be really scary. I think for an investor, like I, I do think there's gotta be like just a focus to what you're doing. Um, how are, how are we unique? How are we going to win in the next year? And, um, and that was just, that's definitely a lesson I wish someone had told me uh, pre-fundraise. Yeah. So you, did you guys get a, a seed round done or what, what, uh, where are you guys at in the fundraises right now? Yeah, we've raised, we've raised both, uh, we raised a pre-seed when we first started the company and we just raised a seed and, um, over a million dollars and we're, and that's about the right amount of capital for us right now. We've got a lot of things to figure out, um, I do think that there's some danger with overraising, although um, in the moment it'd be hard to tell yourself not to raise more money. But uh, you know, today, today's market's a pretty, pretty good one to raise, um, especially if you're a first-time early-stage founder and you're just starting off and you need to raise a small pre-seed round. You know, you need a few angel investors. Uh, find some people you trust. You know, create a mentor-mentee relationship. The stock markets was up 30% this past year. So anyone who's a high net worth individual just, you know, might've made themselves 300,000 plus in the markets. I mean, there's, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to get capital, but you know, don't raise it if you don't have to. And, and definitely just be prepared for something way harder than you can imagine. So, um, one, one question <laughs> I got to ask, uh, as of now, based on your data, what would, how would True Public um, predict the next election? <laughs> like, well, you, do you guys uh, have any early indicators? Like, you guys got to yeah. be thinking about it. Oh yeah, um, I will say that there are um, there are a number. We're we're always running Trump versus all the Democratic candidates, and there there's a couple. I'll give you a couple of interesting nuggets here. One is that um, <laughs> this is okay. This is controversial even talking about this, but Sanders and Warren um, have a lot of trouble um, against Trump with with independents, particularly, and with those people who are not hardcore Trump supporters, but they might be more right leaning. Mm. The most surprising candidate I'll give you is Andrew Yang, who can actually pull some Republicans. And who can pull right-leaning independents who did vote for Trump? Mm. Um, that's really intriguing to me. Biden is the one who's just the most naturally strong um, right now versus the president. And um, our, our data would—I think—I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say our what we're seeing on True Public would be slightly more positive for the Republican party than a lot of the national polling you might see. So take that, you know, some people listening might like that news. Some people might not, but that's, 
that's the reality of the situation. I mean, our goal as a company, though, and, and how we think about these and talk about these is we're all non-political. Like, Dan, you, you'll never hear a political opinion from me as long as I'm working at True Public. Um, I might tell my girlfriend or my family what I think, but, you know, for the purposes of our business, we need to be very bipartisan. Um, but, yeah, we're constantly tracking this stuff. And, and mind you, we don't have the complete picture necessarily because we're uh, – we don't have a lot of, you know, people over 60 uh, on the platform. We have a, you know, we're, we're really skewed towards towards young Americans. But I still think that can give you an interesting idea of, of the pulse of the country and how things go. So interesting. I'm, I'm like really pumped to see to see how True Public evolves. Um, I think this, like you mentioned earlier, this year is just going to be a big, a big learning year and a major indicator of the power of True Public. So Awesome stuff. Um, well, K Ben, really appreciate you taking some time to to share what you've been up to. Before we go, uh, where can people find you online, and where can they learn more about True Public? Yeah, just go to truepublic.com, or really the best way to interact with us, Dan, is just search True Public in either the Android or iPhone App Store, and we are radically open to feedback, especially critical feedback. So if if you try the product and there's something you don't like or an idea you have. We want to hear it. Uh, I'm Kaben, K-A-B-E-N, at truepublic.com. Send me, send me an email. I want to hear it. Excellent. Well, Kaben, thanks again, my man, and uh, looking forward to, to all the success this year brings you guys. Thanks so much, Dan.